The Flash ending post-credit scenes and cameos explained. Welcome back to Nerdist News, I'm Dan Casey, and today we're sprinting headlong into the multiversal mayhem of The Flash. The perpetually delayed DC film finally escaped the speed force to make its way into theaters. Equal parts Flashpoint and Crisis on Infinite Earths, this movie feels like the DCEU's victory lap as it paves the way for a new era of DC storytelling in the DCU. Gods and monsters. And while we broke down what the future of the DCU holds in another video, today we're gonna dive deep into The Flash's ending, its post-credit scene, and what they mean for both the DCEU and the DCU moving forward. Thank you so much. Plus, we're gonna talk about the film's many cameos, at least the ones the director didn't inexplicably spoil ahead of time. Why'd you do that? I don't know. And as always, if you prefer to read all about it, Michael Walsh and Eric Diaz have you covered over on Nerdist.com. Now, obviously, there will be spoilers ahead for The Flash, so if you haven't seen the movie yet and you're worried about that sort of thing, now's your chance to run away. Flash! <laughs> Okay, let's get into it, shall we? Folks, no longer does Eminem have a cinematic stranglehold on Mom's Spaghetti, thanks in part to the infinite possibilities presented by The Flash. The saga of time travel gone awry pulls from two of DC Comics' most iconic stories. The first is Flashpoint, a 2011 story from writer Jeff Johns and artist Andy Kubert. That saw Barry Allen attempting to prevent his mother's murder, and in turn creating a darker timeline where the Amazonians and Atlanteans have plunged the world into a deadly war. The other is Crisis on Infinite Earths, a 1985 mega-event masterminded by Marv Wolfman and the late great George Perez. It consolidated decades of increasingly convoluted DC canon. A multiversal battle between cosmic entities led to countless timelines being destroyed and others being merged into a single, more cohesive universe. And unlike Across the Spider-Verse, which posits that fate is not something that's predetermined, The Flash argues that things happen for a reason, and it's not our lot to try and change the past. The movie shows Barry Allen through repeated failures to stop Zod from destroying the planet and murdering his friends Batman and Kara Zor-El that the only way to escape this destructive time loop is by letting his mother die. It's a conclusion that the older Barry Prime is able to come to maybe because of his emotional maturity compared to his college-age self. And that emotional immaturity on younger Barry's part leads to resentment, rage, and obsession. Younger Barry repeatedly travels through time to try and fix things, but fails each time, slowly morphing into the Dark Flash. And this wretched creature is the product of decades of obsessive failure to escape a causal loop paradox. As the multiverse begins to come apart at the seams, we get glimpses into different timelines across the vast DC multiverse, including a number of cameos both expected and shocking. We see George Reeves' version of Superman from the 1950s Adventures of Superman series. There's also an appearance by the original Golden Age Flash, Jay Garrick, who first appeared way back in the comics in 1940. Weirdly, the character here is played by Teddy Sears, who played a fake version of Jay Garrick on the Flash TV show, only to wind up being Zoom in disguise. And honestly, I really feel like they should have spent more time with Jay, because he's so important to the Flash's legacy, but sure, why not? Anyway, there's a super brief appearance by the late great Adam West as Batman from the iconic 1966 Batman TV series. No sight of Burt Ward as Robin or the Bat Shark repellent, though. There's also what's sure to be a controversial cameo by the greatest Superman of all, Christopher Reeve. First appearing in 1973's Superman the Movie, Reeve was brought to life in this film through a combination of archival footage and CGI. Standing beside him is Helen Slater's Supergirl, the original on-screen Kara Zor-El from 1984's delightfully campy Supergirl movie. Now, these versions of these particular characters never appeared on screen together until now. 
And speaking of characters that never appeared on screen, the film's most surprising cameo might just be Nicolas Cage as the Man of Steel battling a gigantic robot spider. And this is a reference to Superman Lives, an abandoned Superman project directed by Tim Burton in which Cage would play Kal-El. As made infamous by Kevin Smith, the film's producer John Peters was so obsessed with the notion of Superman fighting a giant robot spider, the concept wormed its way into his next movie, Wild Wild West. And for more on this particular bit of DC Comics history, check out the documentary The Death of Superman Lives, What Happened by the late, great John Schnepp. Now, if you were expecting even more cameos from other iconic DC actors, well, just know they might have existed once upon a time. According to director Andy Muschietti, cameos from Linda Carter's Wonder Woman from the 1970s show, Marlon Brando's Jor-El from 1978's Superman, and Burgess Meredith's Penguin and Cesar Romero's Joker from the 1960s Batman show were planned, but they didn't fit into the final film. Muschietti also confirmed to Nerdist that Grant Gustin was, in fact, specifically in the running, but unfortunately, they couldn't fit him in. Now, in addition to the ones listed above, the film also featured cameos and guest appearances from Ben Affleck's Batman, Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman, Tamira Morrison as Thomas Curry, Jason Momoa as Aquaman, and Nikolai Kostrowaldo randomly just eating a nice slice of pizza. For some reason. Sure, have some Jamie Lannister. Anyway, back to the multiversal matter at hand. It's only when younger Barry sacrifices himself to save Barry Prime from Dark Flash that they're able to escape that part of the Speed Force that director Andy Muschietti and producer Barbara Muschietti called the Chrono Bowl, which is... Oh, uh, I, I think it's a cool name. I wish someone said it out loud once, but why not? Now, despite Barry coming to terms with the fact that he has to let his mother die, he did wind up making one final change. He moved that can of tomatoes to the top shelf, thereby prompting his father to look into the store's security camera on that fateful errand. And once again, that has a profound ripple effect that we get the barest glimpse of at the film's finale. Once Barry arrives back in his reality, we get a brief cameo from director Andy Muschietti snarfing a hot dog outside the courthouse where Barry's father's hearing is taking place. After the hearing, Barry exits the building and gets a call from Bruce Wayne. However, when Bruce arrives on the scene, it isn't Ben Affleck's version that we saw at the outset of the movie, nor is it Michael Keaton. Rather, it's George Clooney. Now, for those who don't know, Clooney played Batman in 1997's ultra-campy Batman and Robin. It's a movie that gave the world bat nipples and some of the greatest puns in human history thanks to Arnold Schwarzenegger as Mr. Freeze. <laughs> the dinosaurs, the Ice Age. <laughs> That's the one I always think of. It's not even a joke. Yeah. <laughs> what killed the dinosaurs? The Ice Age! Now, the implication here is that by changing the past one last time, Barry irrevocably changed the present and Bruce Wayne as a person. So why doesn't he fix it? Well, it's something he explains to a drunken Aquaman in the film's post-credit scene. Now, sure, Barry could go back in time and put the tomato cans back where they were, but then his father would be back in jail for a crime he didn't commit. So rather than continually meddle in the past, Barry winds up sacrificing a version of his friend to save his father. Well, maybe sacrificed is the wrong term because Batfleck is still out there somewhere, but in the timeline where Barry didn't move the tomato cans. But Barry has no intention of going back to that universe anytime soon. 
It's also a larger meta-commentary on the state of DC. Barry's made his peace with the fact that the DCEU as he knew it is gone. The DCU is looming large on the horizon. And now Barry's off in the Clooneyverse, or some combination of that and the DCEU, considering that Jason Momoa is still Aquaman in this one. So does that mean that Aquaman The Lost Kingdom could feature a George Clooney cameo as Batman? Is Ben Affleck finally free to drink his Dunkin' Donuts iced coffee in peace? It certainly seems that way. This is why Superman works alone. And given the fact that Jason Momoa is heavily rumored to be playing Lobo in James Gunn's nascent DCU, this isn't the worst thing that could happen to this version of Arthur Curry. <laughs> Because seeing the King of Atlantis drunk off his ass also harkens back to how Bruce Wayne found him back in Justice League. It definitely takes some of the wind out of the Aquaman sequel sales, knowing that this is the last gasp of a cinematic universe riding into the sunset. But all things must come to an end, I suppose, including this video. Anyway, folks, there you have it. That's everything you need to know about The Flash's ending, post credit scene, and its multiversal cameos. We'll have plenty of other deep dives for you in the days ahead over on Nerdist. But for now, tell us, what did you think of the movie? Did you spot anything that we missed? What was your favorite cameo? Wait, he's Batman? Let us know in the comments below, and for the latest and greatest in the world of pop culture, make sure you stay tuned to Nerdist.com.